On today's episode of Still to be Determined, we're going to be talking about what it means when we say the word breakthrough. Hi, everybody. As usual, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And I'm just generally curious about technology. Luckily for me, my brother is Matt of Undecided with Matt Farrell. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty good weekend. How about yourself? Not too bad. It's been bitter, bitter, bitter cold, which yeah. is a result of... I don't know, the North Pole invading North America. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's the it's climate change. I know that's the ultimate reason for all of this, but it was um here in the How city it was not it as get? bad as it was in your neck of the woods where I understand schools were closed proactively and wind chill was taking it deep into the negatives. It was negative ten. That's not wind chill. That's just negative ten degrees Fahrenheit. And then the wind chill was making it feel like forty below. Nice. Oh, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into today's discussion, which is about Matt's most recent episode, which dealt with fusion energy production, I wanted to share a couple of comments from our most recent episode. This is episode 152, in which we talked about brick batteries. There were comments like this from Treksh Marwaha, who said, Sean asks such good questions to bring about discussion. Thanks for the great content. Treksh I agree with you. I'm sick of all the naysayers. <laughs> Granted, most of those naysayers are horses, but the naysayers who said that I don't add anything to the podcast. So hashtag go Sean in the comments. Yes. Down with Matt. Boo, Matt. I, he uh, I think I even hear crowds booming in the background. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah. yeah. Just watch your back, Matt. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. There were also comments that actually had to do something with the content of the discussion, like this one from Dom Burt, who wrote about our commentary around district heating. And Dom wrote, what I like about district heating is that you can throw in multiple heat sources in a single distribution network. Like I know that in Vienna, Austria, they use heat from waste incineration, biomass, geothermal, and heat losses of gas power plants, which raises their overall efficiency. In summer, they also use the that access heat for district cooling with absorption refrigerators. So that is so cool. A really, yeah, a really interesting network of, I mean, playing the game, like what do these things all have in common? I don't think anybody would have connected them all together saying, well, they're all no. used in district heating. <laughs> so yeah, it goes back to something Matt and I, the, the bell that we ring almost every episode, the right tool for the right job and not one tool to fit all needs. And here's a case of exactly. a city deciding like we have all of these excess things. What can we do with it? Let's turn it into district heating. So yep. good job, Vienna on today's episode. As I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode. This is his January 31st, 2023 episode. What this breakthrough means for nuclear fusion. Matt, can you believe that we've already finished January? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I, the time, time has no meaning anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're living in a vortex. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like getting to 2023 suddenly felt like really 2023. And now we're already one twelfth of the way through it. So, okay. Uh, I'm yeah. ready. Strap yourself in. Uh, it's too late for that. There were lots of elements in this that were kind of a meta discussion around what does it mean when we say breakthrough? Yeah. And I wanted to focus on that right out of the gate because you're trying to measure the impact of something 
But when it mm-hmm. comes to measuring impact, it really depends on the context. So the impact yes. on our daily lives. Well, this breakthrough has zero impact on our daily lives. None. Yep. As far as a scientific community saying this is remarkable, there is huge impact in the scientific community. Yes. So it's Massive. all about context. And one of the things there's a subtle criticism on your part of the media and taking and, you know, for better or worse, you and I are both part of media. We have this podcast, yeah. you have your main <laughs> channel, you write headlines, yeah. no different than any of the articles that you highlighted in your piece. And yeah. you and point yourself your finger right have been accused myself, of clickbait. <laughs> yes. So maybe a quick discussion around what does breakthrough mean to you and what does the consumption of this through media into the public, how do we manage expectations better in your, in your estimation? Let's start with the first part. Like what do we mean when we say breakthrough? Usually what we should mean is that it's something that's, that's uh, a drama, like a massive step forward in whatever the technology is. Like it's something that is just a huge leap from what we're doing. But again, it comes back to being in context because like you just mentioned in this one, it's, there's a scientific breakthrough and then there's like the practical breakthrough. This is not a practical breakthrough. This is not going to impact you or me at all, but this is something really big for the physics and fusion uh, studies of saying, oh, look, our theory, it's been proven. We did it. So good on us that that proves that the theory is no longer a theory. Mm -hmm. That's huge. It's a big achievement. It needs to be heralded. But at the same time, from a media point of view, when you talk about that breakthrough and you don't give it enough context, <laughs> Joe on the street reads that headline. And then we even read the article and we walk away going, wait, that wasn't a breakthrough where it's like, it's important to give that context as it's a scientific breakthrough and then pointing out those challenges that still lie ahead for science to keep progressing. That's often what's missed. So that's kind of what I was pointing my finger at. Right. And I've been guilty of that in past videos myself. So it's like, I'm pointing the finger at myself as well. Right. But I try to provide context. So whenever I've used the word breakthrough, I always try to give context around it. And I've been criticized of that clickbait. And I've actually started to use the word advance much more mm-hmm. in the videos. And there's a reason for that. It's because of that criticism of not everything can be a breakthrough. Not everything is a breakthrough. But most of these things are definite advances. So it's like, here's what we do today. We've taken a step forward. That's an advance where a breakthrough might be changing the paradigm or like leaping far forward. So that to me is what breakthrough means is something that's a huge leap forward. What do you think are ways that this can be managed better in media? There's obviously the idea of clickbaity headlines, but one of the things I've been thinking about recently, as far as like the consumption of this via news sites. Um, mm-hmm. I know for you, you have put together a advisement team to be able yep. to look at your scripts and to look at what you are claiming and say the science is or is not backed up. Right. Do you think something as simple as that scientific advisement, education of journalists and editors along the lines of what is actually happening versus what they claim in a headline? Is that yes. one or the only path, or can you think of anything else? I think, well, one, there's, that is one of the paths. The other path is making sure that you have 
somebody on the editorial team, like before it gets released, that asks the hard question of, really? <laughs> it's just like, pump the brakes. Really? Just ask the question of, have you vetted this with somebody? Have you talked to somebody that's in the know? It's just journalism. Mm -hmm. It's like, verify. And so that's kind of what I've done with my science advisory team. It's like, when we're talking about technology, it's like, is there something we're missing here? It's basically the question. Mm -hmm. and then they can help us look at that and go, no, you, you got it. You know, or you could express this better, or that might be a bad way to phrase this. So it's basically to help us to make sure that we're not tripping ourselves up. And that's, I think, what's missing in a lot of media reporting. Because oftentimes, if you read some of the blogs out there that just like, if you read them, they read almost identically. They're all written, to, you know, they're not plagiarizing each other. But then when you go back and see where they got it from, they got it from a press release and they're only cherry picking the certain information right. out of the press release and the quotes out of the press release. And because of that, everything kind of has the samey tone. Right. But if all they had done in the press release is clicked the sourcing within the press release, they could have read the original report, which like detailed all the facts of the pros, the cons, the all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like they just didn't do their due diligence and go deep enough, even though the information was all there. And that's kind of what this reporting around this video, I was coming across a lot. And I wasn't the only person to notice this. There were other YouTubers and experts that commented on this, pointing out similar things of like, wow, this kind of like took on a life of its own of like, this is amazing. And it's like, well, not really. <laughs> just, if you just in the press release, it clicked through over here or watched the entire announcement, the team that did this fusion breakthrough, they talked about this stuff. Like they, they, they brought it up, right? It wasn't like they were trying to hide it. It was, it was, they were saying this is a scientific breakthrough and you know, yes, it took the lasers are inefficient and blah, blah, blah. And they talked all about all that stuff, but that didn't get reported in half the stuff that I was seeing around. It was like, this is insane. It's like, did you not even watch the video? <laughs> <laughs> There's a, that's a good moment to transition from the kind of meta conversation into the particulars of this topic directly. Yeah. The first thing I wanted to bring up is that the phrase fusions future is kind of hard to say. And I wondered how many bloopers did you have in recording your video? <laughs> that one I actually didn't do too bad on. I tripped myself up, Sean, on the weirdest words, words that I say every day mm -hmm. that would never trip you up. And for some reason, when I'm on camera and I'm kind of reading from my script, it'll just be like, over and over again. My favorite one is in grad school. I was doing a, I was doing a recording and I had to say the word, a random word, marzipan. Mm. <laughs> I can say marzipan, marzipan. But for some reason, for one, for some reason, that one word, I went through like 20 takes before I got it right. It was insane. So yeah. And that explains Matt's hatred of German desserts. That's right. About this breakthrough. One of the things that you talked about was that the elements that are required include in some cases, diamonds and other extremely rare earth materials like tritium. Yes. Oh, yeah. What are you mentioned? There are alternatives to these and you touch on some of them. I believe that as you moved into the hydrogen and the, is it deuterium? Yeah. And there's also uh, boron. Are there other for, alternatives for like, that are more readily available than the diamond and tritium designs? That's a good question. I don't know the exact answer to that, but yeah, there are, it's, it depends on what your approach is from all the stuff that we came across. It was, it's kind of like how, um, Helion's approach to fusion is different from first light fusions, which is different from HP 11, which is different from right. what the national laboratory was doing with their experiment. It's like, they're all doing slightly different things. It requires different ingredients. There are paths 
to get to that energy generation in different ways. And so, yes, um, I can't give you a full list off the top of my right. head, but like things like the, the boron and hydrogen are clear ones because hydrogen is very easy to make. <laughs> so right. It's not going to be in short supply, but tritium is extremely <laughs> hard to come by. It may be a related right question to that as far as resources availability. Australia seems to be coming up again and again and again in your channel. They really seem to oh, be yeah. driving a lot of research. And I'm wondering, is there a region or a country that seems to be further ahead in this kind of research? <sighs> That's kind of hard to say. I would say Australia is ahead. The UK is really kind of guns blazing. And then of course the US is doing some good stuff, but there's like even Canadian companies and stuff that are doing great stuff here. So I wouldn't say one of them is necessarily ahead of the other, but those are kind of the leaders I would, from what I've seen mm -hmm. in the space. And is the reason for advances or lack of advances in this related entirely to money? Is that the leading factor in this? Because you point out there are models of this that use very plentiful resources. So, you know, to say, oh, the reason that China is doing this is because they have so much of this resource is one thing. But to say, oh, some regions aren't doing this research and why not? Could it be just entirely reliant on funding? I don't know. That's kind of a loaded question. I would say on a surface level, yes, but there's also everything I've been learning up to this point and seeing it really does seem to come down to basically privately funded and publicly funded. And there is money is a big part of the question, but publicly funded seems to move at a glacial pace. Mm. And it also doesn't seem to have enough money where these companies that are coming onto the scene that are privately funded, I don't know if it's a different, totally different mentality, but they tend to be a little more, I don't want to say Silicon Valley because that is so, has so many negative connotations, but like that whole thing of going back to first principles, what's the, what's the baseline thing we're trying to do? And like just taking the shortest path to doing that where when you're talking about government funded, that's where like the high level research is happening and it's, it's a little slower. It's a little more on the scientific side of things where the privately funded is we're going to make something that we can attach to the grid and actually make energy. Right. It's like, there's a different focus, which is causing certain things to happen faster. And I think the privately funded is what's happening faster because they're taking that. We want to be the first to market to have something that can put energy into the grid. So I think there's a laser focus there where it's kind of missing on the public funded mm. method. So I don't know if it's necessarily a money issue. But I think it's more of a focus issue of what they're trying to do and accomplish. How much of this, the sci-fi aspect of all of this kind of caught you off guard? Because there's a lot of evidence in your video, 3D uh -huh. models that are spinning together yeah. and all of it's coming together. And it just kept looking like this is all fake. This is, the, yes. it reaches a level of, of it really feels like we're living if this is being built right now, we're living in a future. Yeah. And how much of that do you think is how much of, of that really does feel like it's a cutting edge of a thing that is beyond the imagination of the general public? Like oh, the sci-fi of, of it really is just oh, too big yeah. to consume. I think almost all of this, like the part of the reason why we have to rely on those kind of cheesy 3d graphics is because if you saw the actual thing working you'd be like okay like if you look at the, the naf kind of facility it's just what looks like miles of just like big white kind of like conduit running one direction in the other and then it's like 
oh, there are lasers in there. Oh, I can't actually see the lasers. I can just see these conduits. And it's like, okay, we're going to get ready to do the fusion. Bang. What, what just happened? <laughs> we just did it. Yeah. It's like, it's so anticlimactic. Right. Like you wouldn't actually see anything. You can't quite wrap your head around what you're seeing. Like if you go in the chamber where that little, um, the whole ROM was that they shot the lasers into, it's just like, it kind of looks like a mini version from the X-Men of, you know, like the, the room they go into with, um, the, the helmet yeah. where Patrick Stewart's in there. And it's, it looks like a Cerebus, mini version of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It looks like a tiny little Cerebus. It's just like this little itty bitty, like, like circle room. And I found a picture of like a couple of scientists inside there, like setting the stuff up. And I was like, really? That, that's it. It's just like a little reflective looking little room and has all these like circles on the walls. And they just put this little tiny thing, like a pea on a little stick and they walk out. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's so anticlimactic that you kind of need these crazy visuals to kind of help us wrap our brains around it because it is so freaking sci-fi that there's really no other way to kind of like show it practically being right. done. So we have to do all this crazy <laughs> visuals to make sense of it. It sort of feels like you're talking about the difference between watching a Star Trek and watching Blade Runner where yes. yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, Star Trek and then Blade Runner. Boy, it's rainy. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of rain. There's a lot of rain. <laughs> Yeah, it that's the one thing that kept making me rewind. I loved watching those 3D models of yeah. it looks like this or the railgun, which anytime anybody says the word railgun, immediately I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> and it <laughs> the video for all intents and purposes looks like they're shooting a penny at an ice cube. Yeah. And they're saying, This is fusion. And I'm like going to my kitchen. I could take a penny and an ice cube. I'm like, nope, it's not working for me. <laughs> Some of the comments on this episode that caught my eye included this one from Junk Mail. Junk Mail writes, it seems that right now we're pretty much at the same point in fusion technology as airplane inventors were in the late 1800s. Slow, but oh. compounding progress in relative relevant technologies will eventually find the right design that oh. gets the job done. I appreciated the comment for the comment. Yes. It's a very good analogy. I also appreciated the pun. So well done. The, dad, the dad joke pun. <laughs> Tip of the hat that I am not wearing. <laughs> Good job, sir. <laughs> but I thought that that was an interesting analogy. So you take that and say, well, what does that mean? A late 1800s people were fully embracing the idea of like, let's start flying. Let's do this thing. And it would be decades later that the Wright brothers would actually create a plane that was propelled and they were able to have a pilot on it and then it would be many more decades later that we would have air travel in a in a mode that was widely available to the public so it's a good it's a good, good analogy. analogy and that yeah. means we're looking at 50 years would you say that well, that's a even, realistic just where you from your research and where you're standing right now do you think somewhere 50 years in the future there will be a fusion power plant somewhere yes Yes. I, the, the funny thing about the Wright brothers is I can't remember which one it was. One of them actually didn't think flying was going to be possible. Right. They thought, we can get off the ground, but we won't be able to land. It's like he, he didn't think it was going to work. And so it's like, and he's one of the people that invented flying. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you try it. And that's kind of the state we're in right now. The, the rate of innovation and like discovering the thing and then making it a reality has been shrinking. And the adoption of it has been shrinking over the past 100, 200 years. Right. So it's like, I do not expect, like, if you just took like what's happening with flight and how long it took that and apply it to this, I don't think it's gonna be the same thing. 
And you could also argue we've already been in that same thing for fusion all along. It's like we've mm. been working on this since the what forties or something like that. So it's like this is something that's been taking a long time to figure out. Right. We're in that final leg right now, especially with what this topic of this video today was about, which is like you, we can do ignition. It's like the theory. It's no longer a theory. It's like we now know it can be done. Now we have to figure out how can you do that with <laughs> less energy going into the system to right. make it happen. So it's 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 possible. And then there's other companies that are not even trying to hit ignition like Helion that and in HB 11 that I talked about in this video, it's like, they're not trying to get to ignition. So it's something very different. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a question of whether getting the flame from the match is important or whether just striking the match against the ignition right. strip is sufficient. Yeah. That's yeah. the two paths that are being taken right now. Which is part of why I'm like 50 years seems like an easy bet. It's like, I think we can do this in 50 years. <laughs> there were all, there was also this comment from Richard fellows that struck my eye. The NIF facility is really impressive. They do put on tours for the public. So if you can get in on one, it is very worth doing. The ND YAG pump lasers have always been spectacularly inefficient. The crystal plates they're using are amazing. The frequency doubling twice also required two input photons for each output photon. So this achievement is really wonderful and hard won. Kudos to them. I think they are only about three orders of magnitude away from generating engineering break even. So there is hope, but it won't happen soon. Certainly not in this old laser engineer's lifetime. So much of that comment was above my head, above my pay grade, but I just appreciated Mr. Fellows weighing in, sharing basically scientific sites as tourism sites. I loved that yeah. idea. So thank you so much, Richard, for, for weighing in. And I am using that as my jumping off point to invite listeners to come into the comments. What sciencey site would you put on your bucket list of a place you would want to see? Jump into the comments and let us know where you would go or where you would encourage other people to go if it's a place you've already been. I look forward to reading where Everybody wants us all to go and put in together a little uh, trip for myself at some point in the future. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it was you found this podcast. Go back there and subscribe, leave a review, share us with your friends. And if you'd like to more directly support us, you can click the join button on YouTube or you can go to stilltbd.fm, click the become a supporter button. Both of those ways allow you to throw coins at our heads. We appreciate the welts and you help make the podcast happen as well as helping make Matt's main channel happen, which is where this conversation always gets started. All of those options let you support us. We appreciate that support. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>